Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to Text Message with me, Nate Langson. And I'm Ian Morris. And we are starting again, like last week, not necessarily with some hardcore news, but don't worry, if you like subtitles, have we got a new story for you in about <laughs> six or seven minutes. But first, I can't help, I, we, we have to touch upon this because last night, Ian Morris, my delightful co-host and very dear friend, went to something called a Pokey Rave. Now, forgive <laughs> us for talking about Pokemon Go here for a second. I, I'm not so interested in talking about the game itself, but simply the the cultural demonstrations of love that seem to have, have cropped up around London and, and the UK and around the world. And this is one of them. Ian, before we go any further, just clarify for us, please, what exactly is a pokey rave where was it what's what's, what's happening <laughs> well, well from what i can gather um and, and we, we were we were sort of a bit skeptical when we found out about this so uh, to give you a little bit of a history i got told on friday um the guy that i work with at forbes uh would do video together uh told me that there was a pokey rave on saturday night and i said uh, okay that's interesting and he said uh it's close to you isn't it why don't you go and i said okay and he said if you you know if you want to go and shoot it we'll go together and i said fine uh, so we arranged it on Friday, Saturday night, uh, came round and we're at this thing and I was actually sort of quite surprised by it. It was much better than I thought it was going to be. And describe, you know, generally in my head when I think of raves, I think about being in the 1990s, you know, Renegade Master is topping the charts <laughs> and I'm up on the moors until we get shut down by the police. So what exactly in this context is a is, is a rave? What it, we- it, de- it definitely wasn't a rave in any, in any meaningful sense of the word. It was a club night um, in a club in Clapham Junction, uh, which is relatively close to me, called The Grand. It's a very well-known club. It's very big. Um, it's it's usually the sort of place that you would go to having had a night in a pub and not wanting the evening to end. So it's it's not necessarily a, a destination venue, I would say. It's the sort of place that it's pretty popular, but people sort of rock up there. But people were coming here to what play Pokemon together, or that was I think was the the, the basic idea. So there was um, so like a lot of businesses, and this has come up quite a bit um, since Pokemon Go launched. Um, they were putting down lures, so it, it just so happens that the Grand is a Pokestop. Um, so they had that luxury; they could say that um, it was very easy to draw people in based on that. So anywhere in the club, you'd be able to you know farm for uh, balls and stuff like that. For the benefit of people who aren't playing Pokemon Go, a Pokestop is a place you walk past and you collect useful items. We seem to explain this every week now. <laughs> yes, and a lure is something somebody can put on a Pokestop that means Pokemon have a much higher degree chance of popping up, meaning you can catch them, which is the point of the game. Carry on, Ian. Exactly. So so they were, they were doing that. So they basically uh, they have a, an official photographer in the venue and they task that guy with basically having a lure on every 30 minutes um and obviously you have to pay you have to pay something for that because you have to sort of buy the credits to uh, to make it happen so that so they were obviously keen to sort of invest they they they'd um bought uh, one of the uh they bought the top package of uh pokey 
ball um, pokey credits are hell. Even I'm confused now. Uh, so that what they were doing was they were putting things around the venue for people to find. Um, from free drinks tokens through to um, uh, valuable stuff for in-game purchases, which is quite a nice idea, actually. It sort of it, it was quite good, and people and it had people genuinely on the lookout. So uh, the, another r- idea that they had had is they had this room where they were screening the best four episodes of Pokemon in an hour loop. Um, so we went up there, met some of these guys, um, and it, it was it was a genuinely nice experience. Like so, it, it was a bit weird for a club, but it was actually extremely friendly. Everyone was very happy to talk to us, and it was it was really nice. It's an interesting business model in a way because essentially what this is is you know you've got a room, you're effectively renting out a venue, and you're going in and saying right, what we're going to do is we're going to invest, we're going to put on the table. Um, the in-app payments, like the really expensive ones, to make this venue attractive to the kind of people that are playing this game. Then we're going to charge people to come to that venue to take advantage of all the stuff we've invested in. But overall, they'll spend more money to get there than we spend to attract them to coming there via in-app payments. It's a, it's kind of a genius model. It's something that could be very easily replicated. It is, except that I don't know that the people who went there with Pokemon in their minds necessarily spent that much money. I mean, they will have spent some. Uh, there was a bar up in the Pokemon room, which was a really good idea um, because obviously it means that you didn't have to keep traipsing up and down seven flights of stairs. But I, I don't think that the people who were doing Pokemon were there necessarily there to do the hard drinking of the night. Well, they seem to be there to exploit their obsession with Pokemon. I mean, we've got a couple of clips here that, that of people you interviewed. The first one is a guest uh, called Emily, who was at the event. And I think if there is ever an interview that sums up the sort of person that would attend something like this, it's Emily. But I'll let her speak in, in her own words why she's into this sort of thing and why she's yeah, there. Yeah, this building's amazing. The Grand is a great venue. It's just uh, probably would have come here tonight if it wasn't for this because... This is awesome. The the guys that have arranged this have done a really good job. The original release date for Pokemon Go was rumored to be in February, so I booked a fan. Uh, I booked a trip to Japan, hoping that it would be around the 20th anniversary of Pokemon. They've got a lot of Pokemon centers there anyway, and well, I love Japanese culture as it is. So the Pokemon just wrapped up nicely. It would have been good if it had come out there, but it was still fun. <laughs> okay, that's that's Emily. Very excitable very excitable girl now the other person you spoke to i think was a guy called jason yeah one of the organizers uh, there were two guys who are who are, and i believe that their job is most of the time is arranging other events at uh, the clapham grand um so they're used to some you know some things from fairly high profile djs through to pokemon well let's hear what he said about the event in his own words geeks are cool man i'm a geek you you might be a geek people just love love doing love going out doing normal stuff um but you know, we've we've we have created our own special room um, where we're screening Pokemon Go. Sorry, we're screening the series of Pokemon um, for uh, for for a one hour loop of the four best ever episodes. So people, when they're finished partying, um, want to cool down, have a bit of a chilled moment. They can go upstairs, sit down, relax, and watch some Pokemon. Across the night, we're going to be hiding some Pokemon. Some of them have got drinks tokens. Uh, some of them have got different prizes. Uh, the top prize is uh, 1,450 Poker Coins, which is the highest in-game purchase you can buy. That's a golden ticket. Uh, Jason, co-organizer there. Well, to be honest, Ian, I think it sounds like a very fun evening. I think the term rave might be a slightly ambitious. <laughs> it was ridiculous. In terms of seeing 
you know something very real and physical and 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 even almost a, a you know very viable business at least in the in the realms of buying in-app payments and charging people to take advantage of them it seems like a you know a fairly fun replicable idea i i would encourage encourage more of this sort of thing same same absolutely the same because it was genuinely very sweet actually and it could have been a merciless cash in and it absolutely didn't feel like that at all like they they had genuinely spent time thinking about it you know they were getting into the idea of it and it it, it was pretty cool and would you go again if another one came up or would you advise <sighs> other fans to go I'd go if I could find someone to go with me, but the, the honest truth is that all of my all of the friends I told were going, which just mercilessly mocked me for it. Well, I think that could be replicated if you just chose better friends. Um, <laughs> that's that's fascinating. Well, if you've been to a pokey rave, or if um, if you've got glow sticks with on a jigglypuff and waved them around in the air like you just don't have an opinion on the matter, then <laughs> let us know. Podcast at natelangson.com. I eagerly await your comments and ideas. Right, Ian, let's put down our squirtles and head over (laughs) to the hard news of the day. Few interesting items came up during this otherwise fairly slow week for UK technology news, but the BBC is doing something that I thought was very curious. This is that it is adding subtitles to live iPlayer channels. Now, this is, according to the Beeb, a first uh, for any major video-on-demand service in the world. And previously, although it's had subtitles on the iPlayer, it's only been for pre-recorded shows or things that's been a lot easier to type up afterwards. So this trial is going to be available for PC and Mac. It's, in fact, it's available now. And it's aimed, obviously, towards the deaf and, and the hearing impaired to watch TV programs um, that's, that otherwise would not have subtitles. Live news reports, interviews you know, that are taking place on those news reports, things like that. And they do say that over time they are planning to roll this out to apps like uh, for mobile devices and tablets. So about, according to the BBC, actually, and this is this is a much higher figure than I thought, but about 20% of all on-demand programmes on the iPlayer have subtitles switched on. You know, a fifth of, of all programmes watched, people choose to put subtitles on, which is, I think, fascinating, but also possibly not just because of people who are deaf or hearing impaired. It's also people maybe watching at work. We've seen this rise of the silent but subtitled video on Facebook. And I think that adding subtitles to more programmes in this way is actually not necessarily just good for the people that really benefit the hearing impaired and the deaf, but also people who are just getting used to the idea of watching content in this in this way. So I looked into the background of how some of this live stuff works. Have you any idea how live subtitling works, mate? Uh, I believe that it's a little bit like how um, a court stenographer works, is it not? So that they they don't type words per se, but there's a they the keyboard is specialised to be very quick. But you, you know, so tell me. Yeah, I looked into this and I found a few interesting websites that had written about how this works because there are two or three slightly different ways. And as you say, this is this is a kit, this is a shorthand basically that's used. So essentially, it's a stenographer uh, who does this. That's um, somebody who specialises in typing in or writing in, in shorthand, and they use a special typing machine. So it, 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 I mean, the videos I've seen and the photographs, they look more like small organ keyboards, you know, a musical organ rather than a, a qwerty keyboard. And what they're often doing is they're typing in, they're typing phonetically and they're typing in this this kind of shorthand that then a machine is interpreting. And they also often work alongside a re-speaker, which is a, a human who's listening to a live broadcast, but then repeating the words verbatim into a microphone that a computer then listens to and turns into text. And this has been done for quite a long time for closed caption 
television broadcasts. But as at least according to the BBC, this is the first time it's being used specifically for on-demand live content. Um, I also looked into a few examples of where this has gone wrong. Uh, I found a few examples, and I, you know, I haven't seen any of these live because you know these all took place on on live television. But I did find some good examples of where this kind of live automated. Uh, or at least pseudo-automated subtitling has sort of gone wrong. Uh, I picked out a few favourites here. Once, apparently, this was on the BBC, on a local news broadcast, a town was told that it was expecting a visit from the Archbitch of Canterbury. <laughs> Slightly more concerningly and insensitively during... I love the, the idea of that, the Archbitch of Canterbury. <laughs> yeah. During the Queen Mother's funeral, now this is a terrible broadcast to get wrong, the words should have been, or rather on screen spoken, they were, we'll now have a moment's silence for the Queen Mother. But the live subtitling came out as, we'll now have a moment's violence for the Queen Mother. (laughs) Well, I mean... It's what she would have wanted. <laughs> so uh, the few other examples, apparently there was someone on BBC Breakfast was referring to hygiene levels uh, in an NHS hospital. That came out as medical staff have been urged to step up hygiene levels, as in the height of their jean trousers. Um, there was another one where more controlled burning of witches will save bushfires in future, um, which, the, you know, the the... Apparently, it was a confusion over the term, the spelling of which and which, W-I-T versus W-H-I. You can see how this happens, though. I mean, like the, the, um, in fact, I think you could probably tell, based on the kind of error that comes up, which, which version of the, you know, whether they're doing the re-speaker or the, the, the stenographer thing. Because, obviously, when you see errors on subtitles, they sometimes don't make any sense. You're like, but that doesn't, how has that happened? And why is it that word that they've got wrong? And I guess that, that gives you clues as to which version of the system they're using. But it's also an interesting nod towards how good predictive text has got with things like, um, you know, more semantic awareness or the nuances of your own speech built up over time. Because, for example, if you were talking about the Labour Party and around the election cycle and around anything to do with politics, you would think that just hearing the the phonetic pronunciation of Ed Miliband, you would, you know, modern in a modern system, you'd expect that the system would be able to look at the context around that and say, OK, we're talking about Ed Miliband. But on a TV programme, this actually came out written as the Ed Miller Band, you know. Like a, sound, sound like a funky swing outfit to me. Exactly. Or there's another one where people said, welcome to the year of the whores, which was actually about the Chinese New Year, which was the year of the horse. <laughs> so it's it, there are problems here. And the great thing is, is that this is the kind of thing that is only improving over time. And fortunately, technology apparently has got s- such that it's now feasible to do this on not only broadcast, but also on on-demand and, and, and live television. So I think this is a, an interesting example of the BBC sort of leading the way to it to a certain extent and hopefully we'll get some more amusing anecdotes on demand to see in future Ian do you do any shopping on Amazon Uh, of course mate I do a great deal of shopping on Amazon grocery shopping Ah, well, no, but actually, I am. I am about to start because I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be writing a test. So, ah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm. I'm going to test the whole thing. Interesting. Well, okay. Well, this is actually very relevant. I didn't know that in advance. But according to the Guardian, or according to a story I read on the Guardian um, yesterday afternoon, Amazon is stepping up its. It says assault, which is a bit of hyperbole if I've ever seen it, on the UK grocery market, and it's launching the Amazon Dash into the UK. Now, only about a year ago. 
Amazon launched its Amazon Fresh into the UK. Uh, did I say a year just then or a month? I meant to say. I think you said a year. Yes, I meant to say about a month ago. Amazon brought Amazon Fresh to the UK, specifically into into parts of London. Essentially, it's it's Amazon's version of Tesco Direct or Ocado, that sort of thing, delivering fresh products to to you, you know, same day or next day or whenever you choose, and. You know, only a few weeks after that, it's launching this thing called the Dash, which is a curious little device. It's about the size of a small TV remote, sort of square in shape. It's got an LED light sensor thing on the end and a microphone. And the idea is that when you are running out of a product in your house, you can use this thing to scan a barcode, you know, when you're throwing away the tin of empty beans or something. And it will then, that's connected, I presume, by Wi-Fi or something to your to your internet which then adds that particular item to your shopping list or if you speak it i think it adds you know a sort of generic search term to your to your shopping basket idea being you could say things like you know you could speak an order list walking around your kitchen looking at what you need that evening curry powder beer and bog roll and probably in that order actually and the those items will be added and you can review it and make the order and that sort of thing um which i mean it's a weird one this and i only included this because it's been such a slow news week um but i do think that this is an interesting gadget because on the one hand there is absolutely no need for this to exist at all on the other hand it's something amazon can do that none of the other guys the supermarket guys can currently do and well they could if they had invested in technology well that's what i mean they they haven't currently and it's 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 interesting to see amazon's uh entry into the uk's basically supermarket business which is essentially what it's trying to be and how it's approaching things differently to how all our current local competitors do which is you know trying to undercut cut each other by three or four pence on dog food would is this something that you're going to be using then ian well, actually, you know what? I think I might because as you've been talking, I've been sitting here thinking about the shortcomings of internet shopping, and I'll, I'll, I may not have mentioned this before, but I actually don't like shopping online. I prefer to go to a shop, and the reason is that I, my brain doesn't function well in terms of uh, generating a list, or and I don't like writing things down. I find it very tedious to write a shopping list. You're a journalist. How can you not like writing stuff down? I like writing. I like writing prose. I don't like writing tin of beans. Um, so um, for me, it's ideal because it means that I can use something. Uh, note that I've finished. I've got none left. Uh, swipe the barcode, and then it will be automatically added. And then later, when I want to, I, I can look through that list and I can say, mm, "No, I don't want any of that," or whatever. It, the, the, what appeals to me really is it's sort of like hassle-free generation of a list um, that will assist you in building a a much better shopping trolley for your uh, next shop and I, I think that's actually a really good idea I, I'm going to try and get one and test it because I think it sounds quite intriguing well I think you could actually not only do this but you could possibly try combining your skills here and have you ever considered writing a shopping list like a news story um, I, well I could but then um, when I came to do the shopping I would probably find that more anno- annoying than not I think you could find it quite amusing Ian Morris in <laughs> Empty Fridge Disaster Ian Morris a journalist in London woke Thursday to no beans no fresh brown bread and a belly <laughs> empty of coffee well this is true do, do you want to publish that on uh, Bloomberg? nah 
<laughs> I'll, I'll ask Forbes. I suspect we've got better things to do. But it's interesting. If anyone is planning on using the Amazon Dash or indeed Amazon Fresh, then let us know, podcast at natelangson.com, because personally, this is not the kind of thing that I want. And I think a lot of people tend to find, and I say this massively anecdotally without any scientific testing done to verify my claims, but I imagine most people tend to order the same 80 or 90% of things on a weekly or biweekly basis. And so it's fairly easy to remember what you need because you're sort of working yourself into a pattern. Far better would it surely be for Amazon to predict what you're going to run out of algorithmically and add them to your shopping basket without you having to use a pointless extra bit of technology in your house. But who am I to complain uh, over the advancements I mean, of the supermarket industry? Yeah, I mean, that's you, you make a, a logical point, but I don't think it's one that's echoed in reality. Um, because I don't think that people use products up like that. So, for example, one week I might drink a lot of sparkling Buxton water, and the next I might drink more Pepsi Max, or, you know, it, it, I, that's exactly what you just said is exactly the problem that I have with online shopping because you can just uh, reorder every week. Well, the- uh, and what you notice is you you start to get a lot of one thing. Like we ended up with uh, enough milk to really annoy a cow. Well, to be honest, well, <laughs> yes. I mean, Amazon, it's not ridiculous. Amazon, I mean, it's a couple of years ago, I'm sure Amazon filed a patent or something for a technology that ordered stuff for you before you'd even ordered it. Like it would start to ship them to you because it predicted that it would know what you wanted based on historic shipment information or something. Anyway, I'd, I'm, it was a couple of years ago. I don't want to talk about it too much because I haven't got the notes, but I'm pretty sure they did. So it wouldn't surprise me if they'll start just sending you groceries and you just send them back if you don't need them. How wasteful. Anyway, as a, as we said, let us know, podcast at natelangson.com if you're going to use this. One quick other story on Amazon. I just thought it'd be worth noting this because we talked about Amazon's Prime Air initiative the other week, but it's been given permission by the government to start testing drone delivery in Britain. And this is not something that the US permits it to do, actually doing out of sight or beyond line of sight operations is what they call it, which is basically the drone being, you know, deployed to deliver stuff without the operator being able to see it. And it's, uh, you know, being tested to do to spot and avoid obstacles and also have a, some somebody monitor the flight of multiple drones at the same time because they're autonomous. And the government here is given permission to test this, which I think I think is kind of fascinating. Right. Yeah, same. Absolutely amazing. I mean, we don't know where it's going to be testing, but we assume Cambridge, Amazon Prime Air, which is its um, department for you know drone delivery stuff is, is done in Cambridge. And we've talked about the patents that we've seen before now for Amazon's drones to be parked on top of lampposts. We talked about this in in detail last week. So I think if you're in Cambridge, just again, keep your eyes on the skies. Because if you say, if, is it a bird, if it's a plane, it's quite possible it might be an Amazon drone. And if you do see one, send us a picture, let us know, podcast at natelangson.com. And I'll use this moment to thank everybody for leaving fantastic reviews for us on the show. As ever, we do not ask people for money or donations or anything. We just love your reviews on the iTunes stores or any other podcast platform for that matter, because that is quite literally how we get noticed, other than you telling your friends and colleagues about the show. And if they don't know how podcasting already works, tell them which app to use. Tell them what app you use. Help them install it and help them subscribe to text message and other podcasts to help the community in the whole thrive. All right, got a couple of things to get to. We're going to talk about 
Robot Wars in a moment because I thought it was worth having a bit of a recap because I loved the new series of Robot Wars on the BBC. But first, just wanted to nod to something 3 was doing, the Mobile Network 3, which surely is not far from being renamed 4 um, or getting ahead of the curve and renaming themselves 5. Who knows? But they are trialling a new tier of product plans called Essentials, which essentially give you the same amount of minutes and text and data as a comparable plan on their advanced uh, tiers, so they call them. But they don't get you all the perks that come with those things. So things like tethering or, um, you know, roaming, included roaming or free customer service and things like that. They're just giving you the very bog standard. You've got this many minutes, this much tech, this many texts, this much data. That's it. Nothing else. But you get it for less. Ian, good idea? Um, no. Uh, I think I, f- I feel like this was the service that 3 had that then they just put all the prices up on in order to get people to pay more. And then they've, what they've done now is they've just gone back, stripped out some of the, some of the only stuff that's really worth being on 3 to have, uh, and then they're back to charging the same price again um i mean uh, yeah i'm fine i guess it will suit some people well they say it's aimed at um, people who don't go abroad so they don't need that service they don't use their phone as a hotspot because they don't tether a, a tablet or a phone or another phone or something to it uh, nor do they need customer service which is a you know fairly confident nod to three's ability to operate respectably <laughs> well let's be honest i mean if you've ever called three like you might as well not bother so it's like you know and it's, it's the same with so much customer service you know really I'd rather just work it out myself or just throw the whole thing away because basically they're going to be no help. Yeah, it's true. But I, I mean, I still think it's a fairly, I think it's a fairly neat little idea because it is basically saying, look, what's the point in paying for all these things when you can be more competitive and actually and actually offer something that just gives you what you want and not all the other stuff you don't need anymore? But it's only five pounds a month you're saving. But that's significant in the grand scheme of competition. But what I mean, but if you say decide randomly that you're going to go on a holiday to America, even though you don't normally do it, and you head over there, you know you're you're going to get hit up by many many times more that the value that you've saved. I mean, I, I can see the I can see the argument of it, but the problem is that when when it goes wrong, then you're going to want to speak to someone, aren't you? Yeah. But how do you get rid of customer service? That doesn't. Well, no, 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 no. It's it's free customer service, so you still get to call a phone number that's a premium number. So it means you might pay for the call, but you're only going to do that once a year, as opposed to paying. You know, I was just looking at a couple of the lowest end plans because that's where the difference in the prices is is more notable. And the a plan with 500 meg of data, 200 minutes, unlimited texts, a one month contract is £11 on the regular plan where you get the tethering and everything included, but it's £9 for the one that you don't. So that's £2 a month you're saving by, you know, or the cost of, you know, it's 24 quid a year, £24 a year. And if you're only buying a £10 a month contract, it might be because you can't afford much more, £24 yeah. a year to save, I think is pretty significant. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I I just wonder if maybe those people might just be better on pay as you go. Well, possibly. Um, it's it's, it's they may be just low users and then I mean yeah who's to say I'm sure this will work really really well for at least one group of people and so that's worthwhile isn't it yeah 
All right. Well, let us know if you're going to sign up to these or if you think this is ex- this is exactly what you need. Podcast at natelangson.com. Or I'll extend the question a bit further. What would absolutely make you switch carriers right now? You're in contract. You're about to leave. What would be like, I'm going to cut my contract three months short and jump? What could mobile networks do over the next two or three years to make you do that? Let us know some ideas. Podcast at natelangson.com. Well, last up here, and just going to spend a couple of minutes on this because I watched Robot Wars last Sunday and thought it was brilliant. The new BBC Robot Wars. Have you seen it? I um, watched a little bit of it. Right. Um, and, um, yeah, it was all right. I mean, yeah, I, 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 it, it was... It was a worthy return for a much-loved TV programme. Well, let me be even more enthusiastic then about this, because part of the problem with the original Robot Wars, which for anyone who isn't aware of what this is, people in universities and towns and stuff build uh, robots, and they go into an arena, and they beat the crap out of each other. And the robots, that is, the people are behind a Perspex shield and using a radio control hand pad thing but in the original series the thing that always kind of bugged me is that they were little more than metal ro- you know radio controlled cars with a little hammer on the front or something and the the kind of challenges that they faced were more you know environmental there'd be lots of things holes to fall down or spikes to get stuck on rather than the power of the opponent being able to slice you in two and I'll tell you something, if there's one thing they've changed between the first series, or the first run and this run, is that the robots are brutal now. I mean, properly big, fat, seriously threatening massive chainsaws and wailing axes and wheels and bits of metal literally flying across the arena and smacking into the glass that would have otherwise decapitated somebody. It's it's brutal and it's an hour long and i'm pretty sure the originals were not that long but i might be wrong on that front and they just have death matches there's no none of these kind of obstacle challenges as such or special rounds it's just you know four five six or whatever it is robots beating each other up earning points and whoever's got the, the highest two points at the end have a death match and the winner goes through to the final it's brilliant i love it yeah, and they and they they've done all the right stuff, haven't they? They haven't really messed around with the formats too much. Exactly. Uh, it, it, it's still a, it's still at its heart a program about making an amazing uh, automated. Well, it's not automated though, is it? They're not robots in any meaningful sense. That was what I was hoping for. I was hoping for the introduction of artificial intelligence and and things like that that might maybe would take the show to a new level. I think basically what the audience really wants is to see robots getting the crap smacked out of each other. It's very destructive, isn't it, in a sense? I mean, I know that's the literal description of it, but I also mean it's kind of... um reductionist it's it's saying it's almost the it's almost an anarchistic response to the rise of drones and ai it's like well you guys are all talking about how robots going to take over the world we're going to make a program where they just beat the shit out of each other for want of a better <laughs> better expression yeah. and um, I, I i think that that's that's what makes this so this new show so compelling because it is antithetical to everything else that's happening it's just base and it's brutal and it's almost a little bit sad like kate and i were watching it last week and we were it is sad it's not almost it's tragic you know we were sort of like 
like really sad when one of these things like had its wheels ripped off and its main weapon went and but it's they've spent hours on them it's it is it, i that no, no 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 it's not that it's the anthropomorphication or what the term is it's the anthropomorphism of these robots that you've that they they give them faces and seeing something have its face ripped off isn't great even when it's a machine and as a geek i kind of feel empathetic towards robots or whatever yeah, and, and but I, I when I used to watch the show years and years ago, I, I did genuinely think, but they've worked so hard on that thing, and they just smacked the crap out of it. And to, not, not only that, not only was it already dead, then they've shoved it into a pit and set fire <laughs> to it. it it's a, it's a cruel show. I mean, I understand why people want to compete, and it, it is. It's good. It's. It, it, I think it's the right move in terms of getting people excited about building things and robots. And I, I, th- I'm, I think it probably does a lot more good for the general public's opinion of you know getting your hands involved in something like that. And I, I think that's in this country. We you know we've moved into a world of computing, haven't we? Uh, that that the actually bu- actually building things and you know making something work has a bit of a dying art. Yeah, well, it's 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 a lot of fun, if nothing else, and it's on uh, it's on BBC Two, I think, isn't it? In fact, it's on tonight, Sunday. We're recording this eight eight p.m. Let us know if you're if you're watching this and if you have opinions on the show, particularly if you watched it before. If you're under the age of about twenty, you probably weren't watching this when it first came out. So it's all new, but I'd love to hear people's opinions and what they think of the new format. Podcast at natelangson.com. Well, on that note. It's time for us to take a leave of your ears and just remind you once more, please keep your emails coming in. We know you're listening, but we also don't seem to get as many emails from you as we we used to. And I'm thinking, why is that? So let us know. We love getting your email. We love reading them out on the show and we love seeing your reviews in iTunes. So thank you for those. Please keep them coming. See you all next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.